Welcome to the Honest Labor Podcast, where we look at life lessons through the lens of woodworking. This is episode one, Prelude to Perfection. Gentlemen. Gentlemen. Welcome back. Good to see you guys. I'm pretty excited about this article today. I think it's going to be a good conversation. What's it called, Murray? It's called Ancestral Voices. So for tonight, I chose an article written called Down to Earth. It portrays craft, specifically woodwork, to, to be a grounding activity for people. Good evening, gentlemen. How you doing? Good. Marty, Paul? Feeling good. Excellent. Well, welcome to the Honest Labor Podcast. You have Marty, Paul, and Luke here with you. And tonight's episode is entitled Meditation on Fireworks. So to get us started, I'll just read this per- first paragraph here. <clears throat> Nearly 400 years ago, a group of conspirators, grim-faced men with chips on their shoulders, planned to blow up the House of Parliament. But because of one of them, in a moment of compassion, sent a warning note a friend, the gunpowder plot was discovered and, instead of causing untold havoc and irreparable tragedy, survived, ironically enough, as a children's Festival. Are you guys familiar? I've heard of it. Just the movie V for Vendetta. V for Vendetta. Yeah. Remember, yeah. remember. The 5th of November. <laughs> gunpowder treason and plot. I see no reason why gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Mm-hmm. Was Guy Fox the one who gave the warning note? You know, in my research, I've, I've tried... To ascertain that that's yeah. kind of what I picked up on yeah from Hayward's article here that's that's what I originally thought but I don't think it was him he's just the most famous maybe the leader of the gang or well something. he wasn't the leader actually that was a different guy yeah. Fox was the guy that was actually guarding the 30 36 barrels of gunpowder <sighs> okay so yeah. he was the guy that was originally gonna light it up yeah he was yeah. he was gonna light it up and go with it. And go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But instead, they they got the note, yeah. and then nobody reported to Parliament in that day. And then they went and looked around, and they found Guy Fox down there. Wow. Kind of a crazy story what happened to him after that as well. Enlighten us. <laughs> yeah, I didn't dig down deep into that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he... I mean... Real legitimate torture. I mean, this happened in 1605. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, put on the stretcher board. They ended up quartering him. Mm. And they literally took him to the four corners of the country as a statement to the entire country. Don't try and kill the king or this is going to happen. Yeah. It's like Braveheart. So they did to William Wallace. Oh, is it? Yeah. The end of the movie. Hmm. So that's why golf Guy Fox is the the one remembered because he he took all the brunt of the, the punishment. Well, he I, I guess the the effigies that they mm-hmm. burn to this day are are supposed to be him. Interesting. Yeah, but now it's literally just the children's it's bonfire night. Yeah, and and they still celebrate Guy Fox Day or bonfire night every fifth of November. Like every community will have this. Huge bonfire and there's fireworks. It's a party. Mm-hmm. Sprinklers or not sprinklers, sparklers. Yeah. 
right? It's funny how things happen, um, and then like the actual event gets totally disassociated from like the totally con- the celebration or the continuation or whatever it, yeah. it is, and then like you don't even know. I mean, Christmas is a great example. Yes, it is. You know, and mm-hmm. it's like. Hey, I'm Jewish and I celebrate Christmas because <laughs> yeah. it's like, so there you go. I'm a shining example. It's a ma- mainstream. I'm a shining <laughs> star of David up there. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, man. Um, can I share another thing that I found interesting in this first paragraph? Yes. Chips on their shoulders. Hmm. We're all familiar with that idiom. Mm-hmm. We've all used that idiom before. Gonna throw it out there. Did you look up where it comes from? I happen to have looked <laughs> it up. Okay. I'm, I'm assuming you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did, in fact. And it's not what I suspected at all. So, the first recording of it was in the United States in the early to mid-1800s. And apparently, the, the practice of the time for school-age boys who wanted to get in fight, they would put a chip of wood on their shoulder, and they'd balance it on their shoulder, daring somebody to knock it off. Mm-hmm. And if somebody knocked it off, fisticuffs. That, that was their... I mean, they're, they're challenging... The other boys in the schoolyard (laughs) by balancing this piece of wood on their shoulder Uh and asking somebody to come knock it off and then they get in a fight. That's where chip on the shoulder comes from. No kidding. My question is where did where did the chips come from? (laughs) Wood chips from the playground. The yeah. mulch? Yeah. They, <laughs> I, don't, they, I don't think they had safety mulch in the playgrounds back, back in the day. Let's just, let's just pretend. <laughs> Stick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it was from their, their Sloyd class. Thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to teach that to the kids. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, so that's about it, as much as I got as far as cool things that I looked up for this episode. So I wasted all of those here in the first five minutes. I thought it was a really interesting way for him to open up this article. It kind of he kind of meandered into the the point of of the article. I thought, which I liked, but because the whole first section is about it, really gets to like obsession and like how people really. He's he took a while to get there. He did. Yeah. Um, and you know, I kind of. It, again, it was a meandering article, and I think that it was interesting to think about um, how people can get completely um, obsessed with ideas. And, you know, there's the plot to the, the gunpowder plot was his, obviously, his opener. Yeah. Um, but how obsession, and I think the point I took away was that obsession can go either way. It can, it can get, you know... It can be taken into, you know, a really dark place sometimes, or it can be taken to a positive place, and that's ultimately where the article goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just in a, kind of an interesting, like, opener. I don't know, mm-hmm. what, do you, what do you think about that? Well, I, I suppose to give a little bit more context behind the why for the gunpowder plot, um, 
King James, he was he had just established the Church of England, which was a separation from the Roman Catholic Church. Mm. Wasn't it because he wanted to get a divorce or something like that? I, I don't know, actually. I, I mean, all, all that I really know is that King James and all of his men were Protestant, and Guy Fawkes and all of their cohorts were Catholics. Mm. And the Protestant church was oppressing the Catholics. I don't know what to what degree, but... I mean, when you when you hear oppression, it's typically something physical, right? Mm-hmm. It might be uh, those who are in power withholding opportunity for those who they're they're oppressing as well. Um, and this is one of the things that I thought about a lot today. It's it's how easy it is for us as humans in general to get so focused on each other's differences. Mm -hmm. I mean, for Protestant and Catholic, for example, and there's plenty of other examples, they still fall under the Christian religion, right? It's ultimately the same. Same with Sunni and Shia, right? In Islam. Different sects, right? But those differences have caused crazy amounts of bloodshed. So I suppose going back to obsession, Marty, Mm -hmm. where you're going with that, it's like the obsession with differences is part of the source of some of this conflict. Well, I think too, it's obsession with like, abstract differences mm. as well mm-hmm. and and these yeah, yeah. and these things that you'll never there's no there's no empirical you know or absolute yes right or no or truth to it because you can argue all day long about religion or politics or mm-hmm. all the other things you're not supposed to talk to about a dinner party mm-hmm. um and and it just leaves itself open for endless infighting um and i think that and that's i think that's the whole point of the opening because where you know hayward takes it is obsession can be a positive thing if put toward something that does have an empirical you know truth and outcome and i to to i quote or paraphrase rather like matthew crawford uh who wrote the shop classes Soulcraft. You know, he said there's nothing as pure as um, a, a bubble on a carpenter's level. Mm. You know, making something perfectly level, perfectly plumb. Mm-hmm. You know, that is that is truth. And mm-hmm. there's no there's no denying it. There's no quibbling about it. It's either level or it's not. And and I think that there is um, a simplicity to that. It's really mm-hmm. nice. That's why it's so disconcerting when you realize that your square isn't square. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> it's especially if you're halfway done with a project. Yeah. <laughs> or or I've come across where I've dropped my tape measure a couple times and mm. the little metal tip yeah. is bent mm. enough where oh, it's off by totally. a sixteenth of an inch. Totally. And you realize it like, oh man. Yeah. Like everything's off by a little bit. I mean if, if it's if it sometimes it doesn't matter, you know, if, yeah. if it's all if you're using the same tape for the whole thing. <laughs> but yeah. I've, I've been in that same boat with the bent 
metal tip. Yeah. yeah. Or miter saw and the, you know, just half a degree off or something from one cut and forgot to fix it. Yeah. Yep. I did that. Uh, I was building a set of chairs last two weeks ago and I had made a, a very slight angled cut four degrees uh-huh. on the table saw and I had forgotten to bring it back to 90 and uh, I didn't realize it till after a piece. Luckily I had enough waste. I could easily fix it, but yeah. that was like a, a swearing mode in the shop. Yeah. Like, oh no. Like <laughs> everyone makes that mistake. Every, yeah. every woodworker is going to make that mm-hmm. mistake. I'm going to jump ahead to a paragraph here. Cause I think this is an important point to dive in on. There are times when the mind is a man's most treacherous enemy. We can, None of us escape from it. And once an obsession gets a serious hold of a man, there is no end. Seemingly to the stupidities, the errors, even to the crimes into which it will not lead him. All of us, at one time or another, experience it. From small, trivial, obsessional habits, innocence enough in themselves, to times when anger, resentment, a sense of injustice, or an unrequited love affair swamp the mind and make us lose all sense of proportion. I think we kind of touched on this on one of our previous episodes, but one of the simple facts that all of us experience this at Mm -hmm. some point or another. All of us walk around with a wood chip on our shoulder. I don't know how big that wood chip is. But there are times when when you have a grievance against somebody in your life. And it's one of those relationship things, right? Like you don't want to be wronged by somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, 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 it can become consuming, right? Not just your thoughts, but but then your actions. And that's when it gets dangerous. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it it is something that comes up more when we're searching for meaning. You know, because trivialities can put meaning onto our existence if we are a little adrift at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, you latch on to a petty grievance or something like that. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a higher purpose, I think, you know, and and that's why it's so hard to probably break out of, is that it really does feel like it's deep inside of you. Kind of related. Um, but I would say that, you know, this can all be a good thing too. Um, and do you guys know Tim Ferriss? Mm-hmm. The yeah. Four Hour Workweek, mm-hmm. which is like his most famous book. Um, really interesting guy, has an incredible um, podcast where he interviews people, like long form interviews. And just pretty much everything he puts out, super curious person. Um, but on one of his uh, weekly emails, I believe he uh, he may have been quoting somebody else, but I just know it was from his email, where he said, you know, don't ask 
like what makes you happy, but ask what makes you excited. And I think that was like a really interesting way to reframe because happiness going back to being abstract. It's like, what does that mean? Mm. You know? Um, but I think everybody knows what it feels like to be excited about something. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and I think of it because, you know, we get into these obsessions are excitement of a kind, maybe taken to the extreme, but, you know, searching for, for excitement in our lives is, is a way to find a motivation and, and thus down the line, happiness for sure. Um, yeah. But that's kind of where I go when I read about this is like, okay, what's getting you going Mm -hmm. and how are you going to manifest that into action? I have some thoughts. Sure. Um, and some of this is real, like really skipping ahead to the very end of the article, but I'm going to read the last sentence. Something in himself, which is real and abiding, is quietly coming to life, a sturdy, thoughtful quality, which will be an added strength should the need ever arise and bring an added joy to the measure of his days. And the word I want to key in on is joy. And you were kind of dissecting some of the nuances and differences between happiness and excitement. And I in in my mind where you're going with that i differentiate <clears throat> between happiness and joy and happiness is something that is kind of of the moment mm-hmm. right um it comes and it goes whereas joy is kind of this transcending ever lasting thing i i i find it kind of akin to contentment. Um, It's deliberate. It's intentional. It's a behavior. It's a practice. It's an inner feeling. Happiness is more of an outward expression Mm -hmm. to others. And I kind of think of it like fulfillment. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's It's a long-term type type thing. And I, maybe, maybe you want to keep your cup full, you know, at a certain level of, of your your fulfillment right or joy and it's something that's very personal mm-hmm. right um i like that concept of happiness being like outward facing mm-hmm. um and joy being inward facing mm-hmm. I, I think of happiness sometimes being like loud mm-hmm. and joy being the way you're con- yeah. conceptualizing it joy yeah. being quiet right right So back to, I mean, if we're thinking about that again, I'll just read the last little bit here. Um, A sturdy, thoughtful quality, which will be an added strength should the need ever arise and bring an added joy to the measure of his days. (laughs) I I really thought about the measure of days, right? I mean, it's, and that... That's kind of akin to how you define success. All right. Um, you're, at, you're in your final days and you're looking back on your life, right? And how, how do you rack and stack what you did with, with your one go on mm-hmm. this earth? And do you find joy and contentment in, in what you did? Fulfillment? Yeah. Right? 
Um, I mean, the phrase the hindsight is 2020 comes to mind, right? I mean, we're all going to have 2020 vision when, mm-hmm. when we're there at the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'll be clear as day. Um, but here in the moment, amongst all of the things, all the plates that we're trying to spin, all the distractions that we have, trying to keep up with the Joneses, um, not to mention struggles with relationships with those who matter most in our lives. Um, how do we find that joy? How do we, how, how do we practice that joy, rather? So I want to read something else from the article. Please. Because I think that it addresses what, what we're talking about here, yep. as well as the fleeting nature of happiness. So Hayward writes... Mm-hmm. We have power still, the power of an abiding common sense, which knows that obsessions and infatuations will pass, given time enough, and opposing to them the knowledge and skill of mind and hands working in unison, keep our link with the world of reality. And that one just struck me um, as the way to practice joy, as a way to maintain it. because I think a lot about um, with with the writing that I do, you know, sometimes I feel inspired to write things. Sometimes I don't. Uh, but I still try to sit down and write, nonetheless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, maybe inspiration can be seen as the, the obsession, the infatuation. You know, infatuation is probably the best word for that. Mm-hmm. But if you work through that, work past that, work through like you know the honeymoon phase of a relationship and get into the meat of it, and then you just keep at it every day. You try a little bit more, and it's it's the, that and it's staying grounded in reality. It's just that continual commitment, whether it be a relationship or a project. You know, and, and it's like the little things add up to big things. Mm-hmm. It's, it's you know, doing, chipping away every day a mm-hmm. little bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, that is how you get some grand, you know, finale or get to where you're ultimately going, I feel like. Yeah, taking little steps. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that sometimes when people are trying to start something, a project, and I'll speak for myself, it's like, you know, I might have an idea and all of a sudden immediately go to like the grand vision of like what it could be at the ultimate, you know, Oh, I'm going to go. I won't, I think at one point I, I had this idea of like making some sort of temporary staircase for, for like construction sites, you know, while we're trying to figure out what to do with the, whether the frame stairs or their steel <clears throat> stairs or something and like portable, temporary steps that could maybe modify to fit some sort of opening or height and and I was like I still think it's a pretty good idea but like when I first thought of it my mind immediately went to like oh I could sell like a million of these and like make so much money <laughs> you know and and very quickly I was like well that's going to be really hard to do but <laughs> but I think you know as an example it's really easy to come up with an idea and take it to this like ultimate conclusion that might be so fantastical or 
you know, out there that it completely inhibits you from actually starting. And then you're, you're completely disassociated from reality, like Hayward talks about, because you're living in this fantasy land where the truth is, is that anything you want, you know, you're going to have to work for it. And that's why it cracks me up to see all these like life hacks or like get rich quick schemes that are all over the internet. It's like, that's bullshit. It's not nothing. None of that is real. There's no hack. Yeah. You just put in the work, period. Right. Maybe you get lucky, but you get lucky when you put the work in because that's how luck happens also, you know? And I just think that, you know, it ultimately comes down to just commitment. That's what I, kind of what I tell people when they're adamant about seeing my work and, and saying how talented I am. I, I don't like that because it's it's not talent. It's, it's hard work. Yeah. You know? It's like, getting it's grinding through right tough days and just working at it right and that's how you accomplish anything great i think talent i mean yeah i I think it's a it could be a thing but anyone can do anything that's my opinion it's like you gotta work at it Mm -hmm. there's there's no secrets no hacks yeah Mm -hmm. there's no magic pill you can take But the idea of delayed gratification is something that's so contrary to so much of our culture yeah. right now, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. everything's instant. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, all of us, I, I think, know, recognize, and feel the importance of having something in your life. And it doesn't need to be your profession, per se, that you're experiencing this and practicing this Delayed gratification, right? Working slowly, grinding towards something. There are going to be peaks and valleys along the way. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, I mean, it's it's like the stock market, I guess, right? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like growing a garden. You know, you're starting your garden. Yeah. My wife, Katie, is, she's been getting to our garden at home, and it's, it's definitely delayed gratification. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Well, and if you look at, like, just pathways to success. There's this uh, writer slash sort of like cartoonist, I guess you call him. His name is Brendan Leonard. He has this um, blog he's been running forever called Semi-Rad. It's pretty hilarious. It's like very outdoor focused. Um, but he like makes hilarious cartoons that just capture like, you know, kind of like philosophy of life via outdoor pursuits. And um, he had one that was just a sketch of like, you know, success and and basically it was just a line that went into like a a rat's nest of squiggles you know all different (laughs) directions and then like ended up at the far end of the page you know like final destination right like you know you like trace success for anybody i feel like anybody who's really made it who's really admirable would be the first to tell you that like the path was not linear it's Mm -hmm. all over the place Mm -hmm. and if you keep pushing you'll get you get there eventually Mm mm-hmm um, but I'd argue too that like our culture is completely geared for instant gratification and those who are unable to, to recognize it or break out of that or find something to commit themselves to that goes, you know, transcends the instant gratification are pretty miserable. Well, and, and I, I think in Hayward's article here is that the, that misery can quickly 
spiral mm. to something deeper and much more serious. Yeah. And I want to I, I want to come back to that paragraph that you just read earlier here, Marty. But where I'm going with this thought, um, let me just read this sentence here. There is no doubt that the surest safeguard we have against the treacheries of the mind is the habit of creative work. I'm sorry, I need to read one more sentence before. But somehow a way of defense has to be found and there's no good waiting until the crisis arrives before we start looking for it. And this reminds me of um, a definition of resilience that I learned a couple of years ago. And that resilience is what you do before a crisis, it's what you do during a crisis, and it's what you do after a crisis, right? So we, as individuals, as families, as communities, as countries, as a world, we need to be planning and preparing for whatever that crisis is going to be because it simply is inevitable, right? Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> and then where, where Hayward continues to go is that through creative work, through that practice, that pursuit of delayed gratification, mm -hmm. right? Um, something else that we've talked about already is something that is so grounded in reality that has truth dripping from it because truth is something that's so squishy in so many other facets of our lives. Like, I feel like there's just something peaceful about it, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. why, why is it that this, this creative work, this delayed gratification, this truth is something that can serve as preparation for our minds ourselves as individuals when crisis does hit yeah mental resiliency mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, i think it's grounding mm -hmm. you know and when you have you know figurative grounding through a practice like woodworking something tangible then you know mentally you have like the fortitude to weather stuff that's like hectic you know it's like the storm I mean, just to use the obvious analogy it's like you have an anchor through this you know, meditative practice essentially and when like life throws at you a storm that's like above the water you're still grounded connected to something much deeper i have to share a story that i shared with all of the sloyd students this last week so as you guys know i i went on a trip down to florida for two weeks and we were in Panama City and I wanted to go see the oldest live oak in the local area. So I got on my phone and I found that there was a tree in this little park called Oaks by the Bay. The, the tree had a name called Old Century. <laughs> and that tree has been there for about 260 years. Wow. It's massive. It has it has one limb on it that's coming off. I mean, the diameter of the limb is probably, I don't know, two and a half feet. Okay. 
And I'm I'm guessing that the limb the limb itself is almost perfectly horizontal, and it's maybe I don't know fifty sixty feet long. Wow. I was estimating that the weight of that one limb was maybe two tons. Huh. That's yeah. total guess. Yeah. I mean, I mean that'd be heavy. It's <laughs> it's a big tree. So this tree is like less than a hundred yards from the ocean. And in 2019, Hurricane Michael came and devastated Mexico Beach and Panama City. Mm -hmm. Devastated. And so I was asking the student, like I gave them the description of the tree. I showed them a picture of the tree. And um, I was like, so you guys know what hurricanes are? What happens during hurricanes? They're like, oh, wind everywhere. It blows houses over. The water. It's like, yeah. So why is this tree still standing? And like the first thing they said was the roots. Yes, absolutely. The roots giving it foundation. Why else? The trunk. Yeah, that trunk is massive, right? It's supporting everything else. Why else? I was like, in a hurricane, do you think that it's perfectly still? Or is it moving a little bit back and forth back and forth right and so i I tried to translate that to bend don't break Mm -hmm. and make sure that you are you have your roots dug into the things that matter most in your life right now for second graders to understand what it means to dig your roots into the things that matter most in your life they probably won't understand for quite some time (laughs) yeah but they could at least get the visualization that this tree has been here, and it's been through a lot, mm-hmm. right? And um, I don't remember exactly how or why I started this story, but it seemed appropriate. Resiliency. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I like What I love about that, too, is that, yeah, the bend, don't break principle. And also, you know, this tree has grown to accommodate the environment. Or, you know, yeah. And I remember I was, uh, after I graduated from college, I went down to Patagonia um, to travel by myself for a little while. And <laughs> there's this little town called Puerto Natales down there. And um, it is similarly, oh wow, we're looking at a picture of the, the live oak. It's massive. Hmm. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I can look at tree pictures all day long. <laughs> um, but down in this town called Puerto Natales, it was it was down in the fjordlands of Chile, and it's super rugged down there. The weather is gnarly, just windy as can be. I mean, all kinds of just squalls and things coming in. And I went riding with a couple of gauchos one day, like uh, Chilean Patagonian horse mm-hmm. horsemen, mm-hmm. and we were we were riding up this hillside, and all the trees. And we happened to be riding on a perfectly still day, but all the trees looked like they were in the middle of a gale. They were just completely just windswept, windswept, yeah. And they had just grown to accommodate. Amazing. And you know, that's I feel like, you know, you you have to adapt to your environment, and if you push against it too hard, you you will break. You know, you can't force it. Yeah. Just- don't try to build anything from those trees. Yeah. <laughs> <'Cause> totally. <laughs> like some art pieces. There's so much tension in that wood. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so while you were saying that, too, um, I was thinking, you guys know John Prine? 
Mm-hmm. So he yeah. is, he was a um, a folk singer and uh, just had this way of um, taking like really mundane aspects of life and just weaving them in the most profound um, stories that he would sing about. And uh, one of the songs that he wrote when he was like, 24 or 5 his like mm-hmm. debut album he put out in his mid 20s and like mm-hmm. you know you would re- listen to these songs and it sounds like somebody who's lived a lifetime wow um, and, and it's a self-titled a John Prine is the name of the, his debut album I mean it's got his classics on it um, and his career span he just passed away of COVID mm-hmm. in a couple a couple years back wow um, but on that first album um, he he has a song called Hello in there and the chorus is, you know that old trees just grow stronger, old rivers grow wilder every day, but old people just grow lonesome, waiting for someone to say hello in there. And it's like, I, in the song, I mean, just listen to the song, it's amazing. But per this conversation, you know, trees do grow, grow stronger and they adapt and rivers do grow wilder, and they change with the land. Um, and if people, you know, don't follow the lead of what we're talking about, mm-hmm. adapting, they do grow on some. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a tipping point for the adapting, though. Mm-hmm. And I guess I go back to the gunpowder plot, right? Guy Fox and Company... They felt oppressed. I mean, are they are they just going to adapt to oppression, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a tipping point for all of us as individuals and communities, and bigger and bigger. Um, but there's a right way and a wrong way to go about things, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think of Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and I mean, what experts they were at unifying people and peace. I mean, the epitome of peaceful protest to affect positively affect change. Right. I mean, and that is where I I think there's some ties to the delayed gratification I don't think that in those instances, that's that's where they should be subject to experiencing delayed gratification because oppression is oppression, and that's not okay, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I wish that <clears throat> humanity were able to take off, take those chips off their shoulders, I guess. Um, and not be looking around for fights and daring people to, to knock them off. Um, but nevertheless, uh, I think in those instances of the practice of peaceful protest, I, I think that the wisdom that they had in knowing that they were going to achieve their outcomes through that manner was mm-hmm. 
I mean, it's inspiring, to say the least. And I think that it's safe to say, and I'm certainly no expert on Martin Luther King or Gandhi, but I am certain that they had personal practices of mm. whether it be meditation or prayer or mm. something mm -hmm. that served what we've been talking about is that grounding aspect. You know, and I think to have the fortitude and the stamina to go forth and try to affect change when you're literally manifesting, you know, a, a wildness around you and, you know, kicking things up, you know, to change them. You need to have, like, you need to really balance that out with, with that groundedness, that fortitude in order to, to make it through. So I'm going to go back to what you read before. We have the power still, the power of an abiding common sense. I'm going to stop right there. First off, abiding common sense. Boy, if only all of us were gifted with an abiding common sense. I mean, what's the phrase now? Common sense is not so common. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you guys, but the things that get me going the most, and I start stacking those chips on my shoulders, is when I see a lack of common sense. It drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? And... I mean, going back to this whole extreme example of oppression, it's common sense, right? Guy Fawkes and company, you're oppressing us. What? It's simple. Don't oppress people. But it's not common sense to, in turn, blow up the entire House of Parliament, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I think that that's where, where Hayward is going, is that through whatever that that practice is when you're practicing and instilling that abiding common sense i mean what a pursuit that should be for all of us um, as humans that that serves as the foundation the roots mm -hmm. right i mean let's dig our roots into common sense well, I think that the key word there too is common, you know, and not common as in every day, but common as in uh, shared, mm. you know, a shared sense. Wow, I have not thought about common sense from that perspective before, but I like it. Yeah. Me neither, honestly, but I, I like it too. <laughs> um, because I think it goes back to, I'm just thinking about how we talk about community and we talk about how we are all in this together and and when you talk about okay well it's not common sense for somebody to oppress somebody else well yeah it's not common because it's not shared you know you don't share that sensibility right. and when we share the sensibility whatever that sensibility may be you know we can we can actually find find that ground to stand on and that, that, I think, is one of the beautiful things about craft and craft experience, as we've talked about, is that every individual has gone through their ups and downs. Mm -hmm. And you can relate in a common way, right? That, mm -hmm. that shared, I mean, it's almost 
I don't know. It's a brotherhood or fraternity or yeah. sorority or whatever, right? It's that, that shared experience, even though you may not have been working at the same bench in the same room in the same generation, but yeah, you've, you've experienced. I want to read the next paragraph because yeah. um, I think it takes all of this, which, you know, it might be a little abstract, but I think it's all pretty straightforward, but... The next paragraph, he kind of t- brings it to a really concrete example, and the way he describes it, I think, is, is beautiful. So he says, To know things as they really are is to keep in touch with sanity, to be troubling about exact measurements and fine saw cuts, to be concerned with the truth of an angle and the fitting of a joint, to be expending ourselves over a piece of work which hold, holds in it the promise of loveliness is to be concerned with a good and true and visual actual form, and these do not easily desert a man. Something about the you know, piece of work which holds in it the promise of loveliness. Doesn't that sound delightful? It's amazing. It's uh-huh. so pretty. It's like poetry. And I think we can all experience that. You know, we've all... I would like to think everybody has made something that, you know... They might not have used the word lovely, but it's like, that's, that's pretty. I made that, you know, whatever it be. It could be, a, it could be, you know, a piece of work. It could be a child, you know, it could be so many things, but like that common experience of making something that you, you find to be lovely. is like, it's a really common, it's not common as in often, but it's common as in it's an experience that I think everybody can bond over. Do you just compare having a kid with crafting something? Yes. <laughs> okay. I think I think this article is. I think we're getting away from what I thought this article was. No. But let's, let's I think it. it's it's about being balanced and grounded and doing something that you're not obsessed with, something that you can you can change focus, whether that be mountain biking or making something out of wood jewelry or painting something real where you're doing something with your hands and you're and you're not it's not some idea um it just makes us more grounded and allows us to to frame things in a different um a different light and have that develop that common sense that that he's talking about This paragraph that Marty just read made me think of what you were talking about earlier, Paul. When you you said that it it frustrates you when people talk about your talent. Yeah. And they may look at a piece of your work and find the loveliness. You may not find the same loveliness in your own work that they find in it. Right? But they don't appreciate the journey that it took you to get to that piece. Yeah. Right? It's not something I just sat down and knocked out. I mean, it, it, it's taken yeah, years. Totally. Right? With, just right. like with anything. Yeah. But along, along those years, you were concerned with the truth of the angle and the fitting of the joint. Right? Yeah. And the expenditure of yourself. 
uh, you know, part of the end, which is these things do not easily desert a man. And that goes back to like the instant gratification versus like a long-term commitment to craft or yeah. anything. It's like when, when you have dedicated so much time and energy into something, a, a skill, a ta- uh, you know, cultivating a talent, you know, it, it, it doesn't just disappear. Whereas, you know, you buy, buy a cool shirt off Instagram and you feel really good about it. And that, that, that dissipates pretty quickly, <laughs> you know? Like, and I think that, you know, ultimately, yeah, it is, uh, you're right, Paul. It's, it's not, like, it is pretty simple. It's about the balance, but it's about the commitment. Well, I, ju- I just, I wonder if this is part of it, too, where part, m- maybe part of the intent of this article, too, is that through, I mean, you're subjecting yourself to something hard. Yeah. You're subjecting yourself to experience failure. You're, you're subjecting yourself to experience frustration. And I really like to believe that that increases one's ability to promote empathy with others. Yeah. Because you know that that some of those other people are experiencing difficulties as well. Mm-hmm. And not only empathy, I think, but it would be drawn from that empathy is is a desire to help, to help somebody else. Mm. You know, if if you've been there, you've struggled with either the same thing or perhaps something that you can compare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's an amazing feeling. I'm sure in the classroom, you know, when you've got kids trying to plane a straight edge, you know, there's a degree of, you know, teaching is the same thing, right? You know, in in some ways. The the really cool thing in the classroom is when you have students who have experienced a struggle, and then they see the same struggle from somebody else, and they naturally want to go share their learned experience. And let's apply that as adults. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and let that idea not be something that's that fleets us. Right? That feeling, that um, that commitment. To that idea. Well, I think that sharing knowledge is is really you know it. Well, I I don't know exactly what there's a phrase for this. I'm sure there is, but it's like you know, the best uh, gift to receive is like the act of giving, often. Right. You know, I think. It, Maybe it comes up during the holiday season. Sometimes, you know, like you would go do things for people who are less fortunate or whatever. But, you know, I think that that act of, of helping teaching is, is an amazing way to tie people together. I feel like 
that that act is probably something that contributes to your baseline joy as opposed to happiness. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to read this last paragraph and maybe we'll wrap it up. All right. Always we need to be prepared. To start when trouble is already upon us is too late. So it is the craftsman who gives himself wholeheartedly to the work which he does with no thought beyond the work and a fine sense of achievement is creating more than he knows. Wow, man, that's so deep. Something in himself which is real and abiding is quietly coming to life. A sturdy, thoughtful quality which will be an added strength should the need ever arise and bring an added joy to the measure of his days. I think be prepared is the bottom line for me and be intentional in how you prepare and I think just do things that contribute to your resilience right that hurricane is going to come you need to make sure that your roots are dug deep you need to make sure that your bend don't break finding something that that gives delayed gratification, but nevertheless, it's gratification is really important. Finding things where you're able to build empathy and community with those around you and resolve differences is important. And uh, having something that's tangible to, to be able to continue to really reinforce all of these ideas but turn them into more than just ideas but turn them into character and who you are that's important Mm -hmm. any final thoughts yeah go dedicate yourself to some craft (laughs) yeah (laughs) chip away yeah don't get intimidated I kind of want to go balance a chip on my shoulder and just see what happens. <laughs> see who knocks it off. Yeah. Should I put a chip on and just start walking around yeah. downtown? No one's going to know what you're, what you're doing. <laughs> and then if you try to punch them after they knock it off, I'm like, whoa. Yeah. Whoa, dude. Maybe we should kind of stage something. Right? <laughs> you come knock it off my shoulder and... Start a new uh, TikTok. <laughs> What's TikTok? Uh, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> instant gratification. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. That's the definition of instant. There's not much resiliency over there. I don't okay. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all we got. Until, Until next time, gents. Until next time. <laughs>